The moment has arrived. I am Tom Dickinson, and you are listening to Season 1, Episode 5 of The Moment, which is a sort of podcast about the television program Doctor Who. Each week I'm joined by a guest to talk about a moment from Doctor Who that means a lot to that guest, and sometimes that guest is named Lewis. Back in the first episode I had my friend Lewis, spelled L-O-U-I-S, and I promised at the time that there would be another different Lewis on the show, and let it never be said that I break my promises. This week, my friend Lewis, L-E-W-I-S, joins me on the moment as we travel back once again to the era of the Tenth Doctor. Well, I say the era of the Tenth Doctor, but actually, today we're interested in an episode that's notable by the conspicuous absence of the Tenth Doctor. We're talking about a moment from 2008's Turn Left, featuring the Doctor's companion, Donna Noble, and her grandfather, Wilfred Mott, in an alternate timeline where the Doctor is gone. Turn Left examines another reality where Donna never took the job that led to her meeting the Doctor in the 2006 Christmas special, The Runaway Bride. In this world, without Donna by his side, the Doctor dies battling the Ragnos and subsequently isn't around to deal with the numerous alien menaces that plagued Earth over the course of series 3 and 4. This results in massive death tallies, the destruction of London, and complete societal collapse in the UK and elsewhere. Over 7 million people in the UK become refugees in need of relocation, and among those are Donna, her mother Sylvia, and her grandfather Wilf. The three of them are relocated to Leeds, where they live in a crowded house with several other families, waiting for their situation to improve. And then, Lewis's moment happens. Um, well, the moment I picked was uh, in Turn Left, when the family um, that the nobles have been staying with in their refugee house are taken away by the army. It's a very like emotionally charged moment because, you know The family's leaving and it's all very sad because they've they've just started getting along with them and they're being taken away and, and England for the uh, Rocco, the dad, is saying, Oh, it's gonna be great, it's we're going to a Labour camp. Labour camps. I know, but Labour doing what? There aren't any jobs. Sewing, digging is and, cool. And he's, like, clearly lying about that to Donna and then uh, you know he has this sort of exchange with Wilfred Wilfred uh, Donna's granddad my capitan that makes you think maybe things aren't aren't as above board as they seem and then they get on the back of the truck and and his wife starts crying onto him and he's holding her and they're both crying and Donna sort of realizes that something horrible's going wrong and the moment um the exact moment that like what was happening hit me was when Wilf says you know they were camped that's what I called him last time. What do you mean? It's happening again. What is? This was ten years ago. Yeah, it was. You're a young person, right? <laughs> yeah, somewhat, somewhat young. Yeah. So, how how old were you when you watched this for the first time? Mm, let's say I was thirteen, for the sake of not having to do maths on the fly. Uh, you so you can't do minus ten in your head. <laughs> well, I didn't. I didn't just do minus ten. I just did minus nine. Oh. I think. Anyway, it's not. <laughs> this is exactly what I wanted to avoid. And I think I was about twelve or thirteen. That's interesting because you had quite a different initial reaction to me because you were a child and I I was twenty when I watched this. Mm-hmm. So. I felt like beaten over the head with it even before that that particular oh, interesting uh, moment, but uh, I guess that wouldn't necessarily be the case for everyone who's watching. Yeah, I I kind of know what you mean. Um, that the whole episode, watching it earlier, like I felt 
I really did feel like they were just throwing tragedy after tragedy at the noble family just for the point of executing this really sad situation and just making it worse and worse and worse and like when you get to that point in the episode on the rewatch at least felt a lot less uh, subtle I guess than than when I was a kid but but when I was a kid when I watched it it was absolutely probably one of the most affecting scenes in Doctor Who I had seen up to that point because so much of the scary stuff in Doctor Who the deaths and the the, the horror and everything like that it's it's all quite campy um in a way and this this is sort of the opposite of campy i think it's about as far as you know as far from campy as you can get like you know the lots and lots of deaths that happen like in the first series when the doctors you know at the, the very end of the season when they discover that all these people are, are being you know killed and turned into daleks and stuff so you created an army of daleks out of the dead and, and that's like really scary as an idea but like it's not it's not particularly human this is an examination of humanity at its worst and that is what resonated with me so much when i was a kid is like you know if you take out the fantastical disasters that happen in the united kingdom over the course of turn left and you replace them with regular disasters like ecological disasters financial disasters that kind of thing like it's not that far away from something that could actually happen in the real world and as will says like that it's happened before and that was like deeply chilling to show human beings pushed to that point where they start setting up basically concentration camps what is your opinion of the episode as a whole Uh, that's really difficult um because i loved every doctor who episode i watched when i was a kid um because that's the function of children i think is to enjoy doctor who um and and i've become like more critically aware of how media is uh, and works you know as i have become an adult and so like i enjoy this episode and most of doctor who i think less now that i'm an adult from the perspective of you know the raw excitement you get when you're a kid like from a critical perspective there's more to look at but like this episode in particular i think um suffers from the rewatch i don't know it's it's kind of a bit much like you say you're kind of beaten over the head with it like every character that you love dies in this episode and i know it, it all gets undone at the end but it is kind of it is kind of a bit much like called the doctor or, or something where is he they took him away. first they kill the doctor and he's dead and then they just they just kill all the secondary cast one at a time like when the the hospital um the jadoon thing from the from season three happens except the doctor's not there to save anyone of mine gave me the last oxygen i think her name was martha, martha jones and martha jones it's like okay buddy i get it and she, she died yeah martha's dead oh sarah jane smith is sarah dead jane smith was a freelance investigative journalist all the spin-off characters too Frank cooper Yanto Jones, I Yeah, every lives. single spin-off character dies in this episode. Captain Jack Harkness is transported to the Sontaran homeworld. Rewatching it, I was like, this is a little bit much. Like, I do, I do kind of think that is that is maybe taking it a little far. The the one with Martha is is kind of interesting, especially because the news clip of the guy talking in Smith and Jones, the same guy. I was there. I saw it happen. Yeah, yeah, same guy. And I feel. There's a lot of that in the uh, Russell T. Davies era of the show where there's those little continuity touches. Like, for instance, the newscaster who appears in this episode. Broadcasting about the thing with the adipose that's happening in the United States. Mm-hmm. It happens to be the, president will address the, nation the same newscaster who appears in. Human race has been shown absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. multiple times per season. 3 a.m. in the morning on the Eastern Seaboard. Um, and the, and the unit lady. Captain Arisa Magumbo. Thank you for this. Appears again in Planet of the Dead. This is Captain Arisa Magumbo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just reusing characters all over the shop. Although I think technically that was a first use because Planet of the Dead hadn't aired yet, but you know. 
in in general, do you find this moment less affecting now than you did as a as a youth? Uh no, no. I find it way more affecting now. <laughs> it's weird. It's really weird. Like I was I was watching the episode, writing down like, oh, this is really goofy. Everyone you love dies, and then like the bit comes around, and it just had me in tears. Like it just it just completely got me all over again. I don't know. It is just like still really really emotionally affecting. Um. There's like little touches that I noticed this time around that I think they probably put there intentionally. Like, you know, for example, when they first reach the house, um, you know, Rocco opens the door. It's a big house, room for all. Lots of people in the house, but it's fine because we're getting by. I thought this was our house. Many people's house. It's wonderful. And they're like, oh, I thought we were going to have a house to ourselves. This is a bit, you know, this is kind of annoying. Um, Somewhere in the episode, someone, I think it's Donna, says like, Emergency government. They'll do something. What if they don't? And like, that is what the emergency government does, is they set up a concentration camp and Donna and her family get the house to themselves like they want. And it's like, I don't know, that just makes it worse for me somehow. But, you know, I think, as I say, I think that's that's done intentionally, like, as if to say, yep, you've, you've got the things that you wanted now and you, like, it's this horrible price has been paid for it. For me, it stands out as the moment that defines, like, it's the emotional heart of the episode to me is this moment. Because I, I, I didn't feel that much watching Donna and everyone else be put through their paces um, by this horrendous series of events. Like, until it until it comes to showing the ugliness of, of humanity when we deny each other's humanity and, and turn on each other and whatnot. Like, that that was the most affecting part of the episode because, like, I, I knew that the rest of it would get undone. The, the series of events that are recapped during the episode and shown from the perspective of now the Doctor doesn't exist, um, everything's horrible, those moments are all incredibly campy again like they're all very very silly moments um when viewed as a real world context where you don't know that aliens exist like from the perspective of donna's family like the titanic and the people turning into fat and the hospital disappearing they're all these weird and alien things um and that's that's what makes this moment to me so affecting is that it is in amongst all these very weird occurrences um these like extraterrestrial forces like to me at least the the saddest and scariest part of the episode comes not from the doctor not being there to prevent these alien tragedies but like what happens when we're pushed to our limits you know like that that's much more terrifying to me and it's made all the more terrifying by the fact that it is the most human part of the episode i think that's something that russell t davies was particularly interested in as like a narrative thing for playing within the doctor who universe like right before this was midnight which is an mm. episode that kind of explores what happens when the doctor doesn't have a companion to sort of act as the liaison between him and the normals that are humans like you're not one of us Dude, that's what he said and the wiring he went into that panel and opened up the wiring that was after but how did you know what to do because yeah. all of his you know assumptions about how the situations are going to go just completely fail mm-hmm. and that i think torchwood children of earth is also another yeah you know, and it, that's that's soon after this that's during the year of the specials i guess sometimes the doctor must look at this planet and turn away in shame the real villain in in children of earth isn't necessarily a space alien although the space alien isn't very nice in children of earth but uh it, it's like what where the human heart will go under those circumstances i almost picked midnight for the same reasons like there's a moment where you can tell everyone has suddenly like decided into him i saw it with my own eyes so did i you didn't went from her to him you saw it didn't that you we're gonna kill this guy oh don't be stupid jethro of course you did even though it doesn't like if you stopped and thought about it didn't you just making it up 
that it wouldn't necessarily make logical sense, but like the crowd mentality has set in and we need to do this thing. And like, that's another, as Susie say, another scary moment where you, you kind of Doctor Who showing us, you know, how bad it can be. A lot of the things that happen on, on Doctor Who kind of make sense within the context of like a family science fiction adventure story. Mm-hmm. But if you like place the characters outside the perspective of being a part of the action and then instead having to deal with the consequences of it, these things go terribly awry. I think this is the first point in the Russell T Davies era where they actually nail like the Doctor Light episode and the and the Companion Light episode. Like, like for some reason they decided they had to make one of those every year. And like most of the time you get like Love and Monsters. Um, although Blink actually Blink was very good. Um, but you know these were unimpeachably good episodes. I think given given that they were working with like fifty percent of the principal cast. Yeah, well, Love and Monsters is genius, but... And so much better. <laughs> I don't think we have time for that. <laughs> so, something about like the narrative pacing of Doctor Who that, that's kind of interesting is that sometimes a single episode might encompass as much as a year of time, mm-hmm. whereas other times, you know, multiple consecutive episodes happen without characters going to sleep between them. <laughs> this episode kind of allows you to feel the fact that the thing with the adipose is directly followed by the thing with the Atmos, maybe even, like, the following day. <laughs> oh, I hadn't thought about that. You know, Donna goes away and there's multiple episodes between them, but I don't think she's she's gone from home for that long between Partners in Crime and um, the Suntaran two-parter. This episode seems to, like, respect the way that plays out. They're watching the TV where they talk about how, like, there's like, oh, America will save us, smash cut to... Like, America is in crisis with over 60 million reported dead. And then, like, they go out outside and there's soldiers shooting at the cars <laughs> everyone stay <laughs> which, which only adds to like what you, what you said about how like one after the other it's like it's all happening too fast man yeah which is another thing yeah. i relate to the thing the bit with the soldier where he's shooting at the car and then he turns the gun on donna and he's like turn around turn around and everyone's screaming yelling and she turns around is another is another oh, neat little you moment yourself a soldier yep there's little guns and innocent women he's an old Disgust. soldier in my day we'd have had you court-martialed that's his whole thing. He's a nice old man. Though. That is true. No, I mean absolutely. There's, there's nothing like I was, I was quite close to picking any of the moments where Bernard Cribbins cries in Doctor Who for my any of my moments because they just get me every single time. He's, <laughs> oh, he's just so kindly, and and when he cries, it makes my heart hurt. One of the things that kind of struck me looking at this kind of in comparison to the newer series of the show is that series nine, especially, has a lot of like refugee related themes mm-hmm. uh like there's a two-part story featuring alien refugees settled on 20 earth 20 million zygons the entire hatchery were allowed to be born and to stay on earth they were permitted to permanently take up and the form then there's of the another you know a one-part story later face the raven that features you do know this is a refugee camp a community of refugees kind of in hiding of course he does mm-hmm now that you've told him and this is like clearly very much an issue that i think people are even more concerned with now like the public at large than in 2008 when this episode aired unless i'm just completely misunderstanding the political situation in the uk at that time but i I feel like that that is true and i wonder whether that had anything to do with the reason you picked it i don't 
No, that is an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> I feel like as I have become more politically aware, you know, as I say, I was like 12 when this episode happened, um, I've become also more aware of the ways in which democracy and the rule of law and, and, and like human rights violations, like the way that all those things interact and, you know, stuff with, with refugees in different parts of the world is like, I've become much more aware of the plight of people in those situations and from that perspective of uh, it's like a frequency of thought that I'm actually wired into at this point like things that I things that I think about then I would say yes but otherwise I don't um I don't know I, it's it's a bit obvious to I don't know in this political climate of like extraordinarily polarized views and like the degradation of democratic norms in america specifically and 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 all that stuff it's like it's a bit easy to be like oh i'm really worried about concentration camps now but like i do really worry about like the way in which as human beings we are capable of treating one another when like resources are scarce and we're under immense pressure and like that that's certainly like factored into me choosing this specific episode like that you know the whole climate of scarce resources and and human beings turning on each other is is like very much fed into the the way that I think about this episode and like almost like the preoccupation I have with with worrying about that kind of thing also very much fed into it. I, I, my my vision for this podcast is not for it to turn into like a political soapbox for yeah, yeah opining yeah, yeah. about the current global political climate, mm-hmm. but also my intent is not to specifically not do that because one of the the questions I'm asking is like what is what is this moment in a work of fiction that resonated deeply with you? And I think for for some people that's just going to be something they love about it or or hate about it or have a strong reaction to mm-hmm. uh, for the thing in itself, but it's also going to resonate with like either your experience or the way you you see the world and uh just watching this kind of made me think about that once again i've seen this episode many times and Hmm. my reaction to it changes a lot over time what was your reaction to it today um i think i think i regard it as a lot more believable now than i ever regarded it before Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think the notion that given a certain you know state of how bad things get that modern democratic countries would turn to extremely thinly veiled analogs for mid 20th century concentration camps Mm -hmm. that that seemed a lot more implausible to me three or four years ago Mm -hmm. than it does now both because of stuff that's been happening but also because of things that i've learned about that were probably true even in 2008 and like poor conditions in privately owned prisons and refugee situations in various parts of the world uh, and, you know, actual genocides that happen. So yeah. I think I watch this with, with a lot less naivety than I used to watch it with. I think for that reason, it kind of affected me a little bit more. Yeah, I think, I, I think I'm probably the same. I don't know. Um, up until maybe like the last couple of years, I've, I've been living in a world where I just assumed that democracy was like my God-given right as someone who lives in a democratic nation. And then, you know, this, this episode of, of Doctor Who and also other, other media has, has really <laughs> made me rethink that. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm now like a profound believer in the idea that we are maybe just two or three big disasters away from just going into complete meltdown. Like you think, you think about what must have happened in this episode, for example, you know, like most of Parliament probably dies probably the cabinet all the cabinet ministers everyone who's in charge of actually running stuff is dead probably most of the civil service who like execute the will of the government they're all dead and downing street can withstand a nuclear explosion now that is true that is true (laughs) that's canonically established (laughs) that is canon 
but yeah like you know you just you just have to imagine like something something terrible happens like you know there's there's like some major terrorist attack in london that kills a lot of the government as you know as they exist and then immediately something else big happens like big banks collapse or something just like any number of terrible things you just pile them up in enough in rapid succession and and just everything goes to my ship and like you know this episode just keeps me thinking about that like i just lie awake at night thinking of you know what if like a financial model of the titanic crashes into buckingham palace and and everything goes to my ship you know it's very scary Mm -hmm. uh yeah i don't have many more specific things to say about the moment but i do have just a couple of stray observations that i'd like to point out go for it one of the one of my favorite things about donna as a companion um and she only gets one of these moments in this episode and generally like maybe one or two of them per episode but is her like is her indignation in the face of like personal tragedy and and, like terrible things happening and in this particular episode it was manifested in the bit where she's fired from mr chowdhury's shop because he's running out of money you can't and she's like she's reading the letter that she was fired by and she's like hang on a minute who typed this i'm your pa did you get someone else to type this i just love that that's the thing that she focuses on in that moment it's like sad that she's been fired but it's like a personal insult that she wasn't even asked to do her own firing letter and just that's that's just great that's just really lovely um she also very much doesn't want to go to leeds which i imagine <laughs> is, a, is if there's if there's a joke there then i don't get it because i'm american yeah i don't i don't know what that is i don't know like, is leeds a is leeds like saying new jersey everything is legal in new jersey <laughs> is it like saying maine or is i don't know i don't know the cultural divide is too great here i don't think either one of us has a uh, has a cultural touchstone from which the other can can extrapolate the meaning it's just leeds you know it's just leeds isn't it ah uh, gotta go to leeds i think i think seriously leeds i think the subtext of of leeds is made all the clearer by the fact that the lady who sends them to leeds stamps their form with a big stamp that says leeds and you know normally that's like in a movie or a tv show it's like it would have loan denied or something on it and it's just like leads it's just a big stamp like a death sentence it's great if you say so yeah it's good man it's good anti-leads material we all ate that up over here yeah so uh rocco colasanto mm-hmm. what do you imagine he's up to in in the the non-awful <laughs> timeline because you know we meet we meet these characters huh. sometimes in these alternate universes or or whatever and it's so it's so seldom we ever get to catch up with them in the real world. Like Martha has this person that she meets in the year that everyone ends up getting erased from their memories, and then she goes back and gets engaged to him, and then dumps him for Mickey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. then you have you know, like you mentioned, uh, Captain Magumbo. In this episode, we get to see that oh, she's still a unit captain in uh, in in the real world. What do you think uh, Rocco Colasanto's up to? Well, uh, he does reference having a paper shop. Eight weeks already. I had a nice little paper shop in Shepherd's Bush. All gone now. So- Presumably he's just off, you know, selling his papers uh, with his entire family there with him. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's very interesting. Um, that, that's actually a really good question because in this timeline, the only reason Donna and her family survive is because they're not in London. Um, and presumably the only reason he and his family survive is because they are also not in London and they're all together and it seems like in these refugee situations you have basically no choice about whether you get reunited with your family and it seems extraordinarily unlikely that him and his 15 relatives would all be so i think in the uh, in the real timeline they're off on holiday outside of london when the uh, when the the titanic comes down as well like they're just on some some big family retreat somewhere in britain i think that's my theory that's a nice thought it is isn't it they're basically spared the worst the worst of it they might end up you know having to deal with italian daleks or whatever <laughs> exterminator yeah exactly but they uh yeah 
Uh, stupid. I like to think they're okay. Yeah. Although, I mean, in the actual, in the Titanic episode, I'm pretty sure everyone leaves London except for Wilf. So everybody's scarpered, going to the country. All except me. Actually, Wilf and the royal family are and her Majesty. the only people canonically in London at the time, so. Oh, wait a second, you're right. Yeah. So, in both the timelines, they leave London. That's interesting, isn't it? So why are so many people presumed dead in this Timeline. Yeah, that's a really good question, because everyone leaves London because every Christmas something terrible happens, and the thing with the Sycorax happens before the Doctor dies, the Ragnos star still happens, um, like, none of that changes. Yeah, why was everyone in London? That's such a, that's a very interesting point. Huh. <laughs> this doesn't add up. Cancel Doctor Who. Cancel it. Shut it down. <laughs> I noticed um, he had a paper shop, that's interesting, much like Wilf, he's a, he's a newspaper salesman. That was probably intentional. There's actually a lot going on in this episode because Donna works for Mr. Chowdhury, who runs a it's a printing company, I think. So it's a lot of like paper printing. Like Wolf Wolf was supposed to be selling papers in London. It's like a whole it's a whole like paper thing going on in this episode, huh? So soon after the library. Mm, yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good thing that got out of London, otherwise all the Vashta Narada in Rocco's shop would have killed him and his family. That is all for the moment this week. Thanks to Lewis Combs, who you can find on Twitter at FloatOnEast. Lewis Combs and the other Lewis, Lewis Midas, who you might have heard on the first episode of The Moment, actually have a project together. The collaborative video blog channel, The Lewis Files. At least that's how I've chosen to pronounce it, because the name is deliberately unpronounceable. I'm not going to spell it out. Just go to themomentpod.com, and you can find the show notes for this episode, which will have a link to The Lewis Files. On that site, you'll also find links to various social platforms where you can find The Moment, and different ways to subscribe to the show. And maybe if you're feeling generous, you will follow the link to Apple Podcasts and toss us a review. Thanks to all of those of you who have done that already. And given the topics covered in this episode, I just want to remind you that there are things you can do to protect human rights where they are threatened. Shout out to Raices, which you can find at raicestexas.org, as well as the American Civil Liberties Union at aclu.org, and Amnesty International, which you can find at amnesty.org, and let's also say Human Rights Watch, which you can find at hrw.org. All good organizations, all worthy of your attention and your support. I'm Tom Dickinson, and I'll be back in a moment. Everything is legal in Leeds.